Welcome to Health Plus Tech, the show where we explore the law that applies at the intersection of healthcare and technology. Your hosts, Andrea Linna and Kristen Woodrum, are healthcare attorneys and partners at McGuire Woods LLP, a law firm of over 1,000 attorneys with offices throughout the United States and the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Health Plus Tech podcast. I'm Andrea Lena. I'm a healthcare attorney and partner at McGuire Woods and one of the co-hosts of the Health Plus Tech podcast. I also help lead the digital health innovation and technology subgroup here at McGuire Woods. I am thrilled to have Jenny Beppel on the podcast today. Um, we've had the opportunity to meet at conferences and chat and prep for this um, podcast as well as work together in the past. And she has so many awesome thoughts and ideas for our audience. So welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk to you, Andrea. Yeah, so can you do just a quick introduction of yourself and kind of the work you do and anything you'd like to share? Sure. So I'm a board certified urologist, but I'm also completing a master's of management in clinical informatics at Duke right now. Um, My passion is around improving access to care for patients. So I love building programs and working with companies that help patients get the care kind of where and when they need it most. Um, So I also really enjoy consulting in the digital health field. That's awesome. And it's great to have your perspective as a physician and you've got nothing going on, right? A physician and going back to school and all the stuff. (laughs) No big deal. You know what that's like. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So when individuals think of telehealth, I think most individuals think of synchronous, right? Like what we're doing right now, you've got a live video, um, you're speaking to your physician. Can you talk about the work that you do in the asynchronous telehealth space? Sure. So, you know, I agree. Everyone sort of thinks of telehealth as like these live interactions, very much, you know, like the the FaceTime with their physicians that they've gotten used to. Um, But there's a lot of other different types of telehealth. So asynchronous is another type of telehealth, and it really does define patients getting care where and when they need it most. Um, It's built on an infrastructure of artificial intelligence that develops kind of these smart questionnaires around a disease state or a chief complaint. And with that, it's it's that backbone of the robust algorithms that are designed to understand the patient's journey, um, kind of pull out the pertinent positives and negatives. And from there, it it lets us triage patients. So you can tell the level of acuity. You can also screen patients if they're appropriate for certain treatments, um, or perhaps you recommend like a higher level of care. So asynchronous has several advantages to it. One, I think from a patient perspective, it removes any of those barriers that they may have around discussing sensitive health concerns. So we've seen a lot of asynchronous coming out of, you know, some of like the femtech, um, as well as like men's health issues. Um, And certainly it can reduce wait times because it's sort of, you know, whenever it's convenient to you. And then a physician, it can be very physician very efficient for them to review it because you can kind of batch those responses and then review it um, and determine what's the next kind of step for that patient. It is like everything in digital health, not intended to be the only source of care for patients. So I think that that's a really important piece to this is it's, again, it's a tool in our toolkit, but it is not the all-encompassing answer for patients. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think about my own experience and just having time to go meet with your physician and making, um, especially in-person visits, it's like you drive there, you park, 
you wait, you know, I've had experiences where it's like, oh, I've got a meeting, I have to go. Like I came all the way down here and like, they, you know, I, they, they were late because they've got a million things on their schedule too. And so it's just the idea of having, like you said, it's even more um, immediate and towards your schedule, even more so than synchronous. Yeah, you know, I yeah. think that you you don't want to use it for something that's that's on a more urgent level, obviously. So right. I think it's, you know, some of those more subacute issues. Um, but absolutely, I mean, we are not used to waiting for anything anymore, um, whether that be <laughs> right. commercials, like during a show, like we don't want to wait. Right. And, you know, we don't want to wait for our healthcare. And I think that sometimes people, you know, they don't really think about what's going on in their life and their health until maybe they're going to bed that night, right? Um, and they can't call and make an appointment, but they could do something like an asynchronous visit. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So as a physician, what do you see the role of big data informatics in medicine? How can we put the data that we have to use? Yeah, so great question. Obviously, you know, I, um, I think that there's a lot of opportunity in informatics. That's why I went back to school um, to, to do more with it. And data, it's, it's all around, you know, how we collect it, how it's structured, how do we share it, how do we develop interoperability so our systems can communicate. Um, and I think it is going to be leading the way we move forward in finding better solutions in healthcare. So, you know, ways that we're currently using big data would be things like clinical decision support tools. So a lot of EHRs have these implemented and they can be like, um, you know, sepsis indicators and so, again, it's just kind of uh, alerting providers to what may be going on with the patient and starting to recommend potential options. It can also be utilized to reduce documentation burdens, um, reduce inefficiencies and find process improvements. And it can help practices identify outcomes. So, you know, there's a lot of discussion around quality improvement projects um, and really creating these value-based programs. Well, you need data to do all of that. You know, if we're looking at value being defined as improved health and, you know, reduced costs, you need to be able to understand what your data is showing you. Some of the um, really interesting things I think that, that data can do, too, is it's going to change how we look at research. So if you think traditionally about how mm -hmm. we've done research, you know, you have recruited into these studies it's only been a certain number of practices or academic centers that even offer the trial. So patients can't enter it if they don't live in that area that's offering it. Um, and so what that's done to research is one is it, it skews the, the demographics of patients who get into trials, which can then skew the results for us. And so with looking at data, we can really broaden the diversity we see in studies. And we do that through uh, real world evidence. We do it through these decentralized trials um, you know, and then the other big thing I see coming out of the data, this, you know, is certainly the personalized medicine. So that's going to be targeted education and really treatment options, um, that treat, you know, you, Andrea, right? Like, it's not just like a mm -hmm. whole group of people who have kind of the same, um, the same disease. Right. Yeah. And I work a lot in the, you know, privacy space and what's your, um, gut on how, patients see the data sharing? Do you feel like they're more comfortable because they understand how it's being used and it's being used to improve their care and it's being shared by different providers? Or do you still um, feel like there's some pushback because people are more attuned to privacy in the United States than I think they were 
10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I think that they, patients rightfully so are much more concerned about their privacy. They hear about these big data breaches at these large companies. Mm -hmm. um, and they do need to be mindful of where their information is going. It's interesting at the same point, you know, I think that we share a ton of information on our phone with lots of different companies who are not regulated as, as much as right. the healthcare space. I mean, not at all, as you know, you know, the tech space doesn't have the same rules mm -hmm. um, and they've become very comfortable with that. But I think that, you know, the bar has to be higher in the healthcare setting and, and that's on us, you know, that's on the clinicians, that's on people like you um, making sure that what we offer um, is, is as secure as possible. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, like you said, HIPAA is only going to apply to covered entities, business associates, and these apps essentially have no accountability. And there was, um, gosh, probably over a year ago, Flow app, which is the women's health app, um, had a huge data breach, millions and millions of records of women. It's used by a lot of women. And they were selling the data, of course, to Facebook and Google. So, you know, if you were pregnant, you're getting all of these ads. And um, they, the FTC then came out and said, hey, we're, we're going to start enforcing against these apps um, that are releasing this information. We haven't done it this time. This is basically a warning. But they came out and said, you know, $40,000 for each violation, we have the option to fine you. Um, so I thought that was really exciting. We'll see if that goes anywhere. But, um, you know, the government's paying attention to these things because, you know, I use that app, for example, and I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's really a breach of my privacy. And it wasn't being used for my healthcare. It was just, they're making money off my data. Um, so totally, I think patients have the right to be skeptical, but at the same time, it can be so useful to collect that information. And I hear, you know, physicians and different providers and payers say, hey, if we don't have that data, how can we do value-based care, right? right? I'm not gonna take a downside risk when I don't have the information to, um, work with those patients and improve outcomes. So it's just so critical that it's used in the right way. Um, and it's not, they're not kind of scaring off patients and, and allowing us to use the data. Yeah, I think that's really important. Um, and, and it's that difference between being a tech company and being like the healthcare company. And I think that there's a lot of confusion for patients around that. And I, and I certainly would understand why, um, but, you know, you've got to applaud efforts, you know, like you mentioned, the FTC, um, the FDA and their new digital health efforts. And so I think that there is, you know, certainly a lot of good intentions. Do I think we still have to be careful? Absolutely. Um, you know, we have to be the, the stewards of this, just like we've always prioritized patients' security and safety. And this is going to be no different. At the same point, do I think it can really sort of change the face of medicine and improve care? I, I definitely do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what are you most excited about for the future of digital health? You know, I, I think that medicine, it's always gonna come back to the relationship of the patient and the physician, and, and it should. And so what digital health does is it can sort of wrap its arms around that. And it's meant to support that relationship in many different ways. Um, and, and allow the, the physician to be more efficient and successful. Um, and again, at the end of the day, improve outcomes for our patients. 
So successful innovations in this space of digital health, though, I think are going to be needing to find the balance of prioritizing both the patient as well as, you know, the person who's delivering their care when they're building, um, you know, when they're, when they're building these programs. And it excites me to see solutions that are really looking at, at addressing this. At the same time, I'm also really um, enthusiastic about how data and digital health can help us both better understand as well as address, you know, a lot of the inequities that we've seen in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's very exciting. And I keep thinking, gosh, even 10 years from now or 20 years from now, you know, how exciting that could be. Cause like, gosh, I remember in, you know, high school, I had a beeper and that was like the coolest technology, you know? And so compared to where we are today, it's just really in, you know, not that long, um, we've made such huge strides in technology. And I, I hope that, you know, it's, it's a continues at that pace. Um, so thank you, Jenny, for being a guest. This is super interesting. And we're going to be posting this vidcast on YouTube and our social media pages. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Jenny, for, for being our guest. Thank you, Andrea.